Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, it's another international break tripe supper. They say we come round more than the games at this stage of the, of the season. Borough go into the break on the back of nine matches without a win. Um, but there was a bit more of a positive feeling after the after the uh, the draw QPR on Saturday. I wrote earlier today, Vic, that going into the international breaks this season, Jonathan Woodgate had just about every emotion, really. There was the, the, the kind of really upbeat feeling after Bristol City, one of the best performances of the season. The direct opposite at Birmingham, which went in the last break, and then I would imagine after QPR, he's probably feeling somewhere in between. Uh, yeah, I think that, I think there's a lot of positives from the QPR game, uh, and it's been nice that they scored goals because in recent weeks we've said that there's been positives in terms of the shape, the solidity, the fact that they're creating their chances, but you know they just couldn't score, they couldn't buy a goal, and that's that's been the fundamental problem. Uh, it's hard to put a positive gloss on a run of nine without a win. But I do think performances have improved in recent weeks. I think the, the shape suits them. I think the players have bedded into it. Uh, they are creating chances. And another positive is that three first-teamers came back. So when we resume action, presumably they're back in the mix. They'll have had a couple of weeks in training, uh, be, be a bit sharper. And then... Borough really are going to have to step up a gear. Uh, the next couple of games uh, absolutely crucial. Barnsley, you're looking at that and it's a, it's a must-win match. Phil, me and Vic were talking about this in the office on Monday. Hull, Hull and Barnsley, is it, do Borough need six points? Is, is four a fair return or do Borough need six given that away games against Leeds, Forest, Charlton, Swansea all, all follow? I think they do need six. I think they certainly need four plus two outstanding performances. Um, or if, if you're going to have four points, you know, you'd take, you've got you'd, you'd take a scratchy team. six, wouldn't you, over an impressive four, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's getting to the point now where Burnley need to put points on the board. You can't be in a situation where you get more than a win away from safety because this, this division is brutal. We've all said it. And you get a good result on one weekend and the following Tuesday or the next Saturday you slip up and suddenly you just can't get out of that sticky treacle that you find yourself in. So um, I think the good news is that, uh, touching on what Vic said, I looked at the team on Saturday as they were playing at, at, at Loftus Road and they looked more like the borough we used to remember when, the, when, when they looked big and strong under Tony Pulis. I've referred to the match a few times, the Leeds game last season away when Borough had the all-red kit on, like they did at Loftus Road. And they looked physically imposing, they looked strong, they looked dominant. Now, I wouldn't say, wouldn't go overboard about Saturday's performance, but you looked across the back and you've got some big, big lads there, particularly with George Friend being back as well, you know, the big, um, big lads in the, big red, in, the, in the red kit. They look as though they, you can dominate a pitch again. And, you know, McNair being in midfield is a huge plus. I think... You know, if, if there's a situation where Borough lose another centre-back in the next few weeks, he's going to have to look at a plan B because he can't keep putting McNair there. Um, although, ironically, the defence has been really good when he was in the in, in the defence. So, yeah, it's 
it, it is a time now to start putting points on the board. You know, we the, the, the performances have improved. There's no two ways about it. But Borough haven't really picked up the points. And whether you play well or badly, that's what it comes down to. You know, there were moments against Derby where I thought when, when Borough went down to 10 men and they reorganised, I thought they looked as though they might pull off a, a shock result because they, they did well They did well with yeah. 10 men for the best part of an hour. Um, and there's been other moments where they've, they've looked good. But, you know, we... We are sort of um, we are waiting for that, you know, the the good results and the good performance on the same day, aren't we? The 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 point, although it wasn't a win, it was just a draw. But not losing at QPR, Vic, felt important just for the whole mood surrounding the club. It'd been a long, long two weeks with another defeat, wouldn't it? Yeah, and goals. I mean, it'd been four games without a goal, so it was really important to do that. Uh, the weight of the world was on Britain Sombolonga's shoulders. It was really important that he scored and put in a good performance. Uh, I think it was important that the, the shape uh, took another step forward and people looked more comfortable in it. Uh, ideally, you'd win. I mean, there's no, no getting away from that. Ideally, you'd win. But it was a performance that you could salvage some positives on from. And going into the international break, that, that was massive. Uh, I don't think we could afford to stew through two weeks again like we did after Birmingham. Th- this might sound a daft, ridiculous question, but this whole the league table is lying thing because Woodgate said it and then Warburton said it before and after Saturday's game do you agree and if so where, where do you think position wise would be a fair reflection of Borough's performances so far this I, I, I don't I, I know where Woody was coming from when he said it and he may have been able to phrase it in a slightly better way he is right Borough haven't really had the rub of the green but you know we are a third of the way through the season now Frankly, the league table is what it is, as to, to, to paraphrase Tony Mowbray. It, you know, if you, Borough are where they are for a reason. They've, they've conceded too many soft goals and they haven't scored enough goals. And performances here and there have been positive, but Borough haven't really been playing teams off the park and getting beaten. So I understand where Wood is coming from. I, I genuinely do. I think Borough have been arguably better than the bottom, bottom three side. They have, apart from Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham, the can't think of too many occasions where they've been really, really desperate. And when they've been, when they've had some good moments, there have been good moments. But you know, you can't. You're not sitting here saying, you know, Borough should have another ten points, are we? I don't think that's realistic. Maybe it's the Brentford game you think about. Uh, I mean, the only downside, you know, about the QPR match, just briefly going back to it, was the fact that they got back to conceding those daft goals. You know, after after doing so much good work to, to solidify themselves at the back and be hard to break down and to to keep out those soft goals, they, that that's that's been their undoing as much as bad refereeing and and bad finishing has just been those you know really you know, the Sheffield Wednesday game the defending was atrocious there's no two ways so they are where they are and I think he said it now and that, that's fine he said it and he, you know you got you know feel it big, is the type of statement oh, that's how the game if you're yeah. losing right no matter what you're saying it's a it's just a weapon to beat you with uh, I I think it's I understand where he's coming from, and, and sometimes, uh, I mean, the table doesn't lie, but it doesn't necessarily give a true reflection of the last couple of performances, and I think that's what he was alluding to, that the team had been more solid. And crit- but it, what it comes down to at the end of the day is sticking the ball in the net. Uh, I mean, Britta Sombolong was missed sitters, uh, Ashley Fletcher contrived to miss from three foot out, and if either of those go in, then yes, the table would look healthier. Uh, and I think professional athletes, that's how they think. They'll, they'll be thinking, we're performing well. 
we're performing well. Yeah, we're not getting the results, but we're performing well. And that's part of their, the psychological makeup of, a, of, a, of an athlete. It does remind me a little bit of the, of the as I think I've said this before, of the Tony Mowbray season before he got sacked. In the Borough weren't playing that badly under Tony, that but they, they just couldn't keep the ball out of the net. That was the main, main problem for him, is that they just conceded soft goals. Then of course there was the Barnsley match, which did for him, um, on the back of the end of the previous season where Borough had finished poorly, hadn't they? So, but sometimes you get a team in the bottom three and you just think they've been desperate, they've been dire. They've, you, it's no surprise that they're down there. That hasn't been the case with Middlesbrough. I think. I think the players are clearly playing for Jonathan Woodgate. You could question one or two individuals at times and say, you know, could they do more? I think there's times when Brit, we saw on Saturday what Brit can do when he puts his mind to it. He just looked a different player, didn't he? He was chasing lost causes. He was, he was, you know, he looked dangerous with the ball at his feet. He was finding the gaps. Um, his finish for the second goal was, uh, to use a coin of phrase, sublime, if I may. Um, but it was, that little, it was glance, that little that dink over the advancing keeper. That is instinctual finishing. The, that point, the point has been made, hasn't it, with Brett, on, all, on numerous occasions, that that's, that's where he comes into his own, when there's no, no time to kind of consider, to think, yeah. when, it just, when it just comes to him like that, instinctive finishing. And, and, both goals were like that. Well, even though, but even I mean, the the one that shot shot across the face of goal, it was a Brilliant, long ball. He took it down. Yeah, yeah. A, long, a long sixty yard raking ball from the back, brought it down, cut inside, and had a shot. And that, we haven't seen that for him for a long time. You know, that was that that we've been crying out for that. And it just clearly the goal must getting a goal in the first five minutes would have all that weight would have slipped off his shoulders. The self belief comes flooding back. He fancied the game, he was up for it, and suddenly a different player emerges. He's got six now. Eric Perler in his column this week was saying if, if a Son Belonger gets to 15 again, um, and, and you get 10 from Fletcher, which is a big ask given that he hasn't scored since the opening day of the season. Um, but, I mean, six from now, you, you'd be looking at you know, a Son Belonger. I think it's fair to, to hope for 10 by Christmas. Would, would it be realistic to ask for more than 15? Uh, if the team continues to create good chances then I think it probably is realistic to ask for it uh, he got what was it last year 14 15 I think it was 15 because he matched his, his best in a team that, that was designed to contain and squeeze space and didn't really create a lot of chances a team that was designed not to get the best out of Britain exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was playing in a role that was very uncomfortable for him and he got 15 so why wouldn't you expect to get more from a team that's designed to create chances and a team which ostensibly plays the ball how he likes it, which is you know t- two feet in front of him on the edge of the box. What do we make of Fletcher then? Because this after the way he ended last year, and you were only talking about his goal, his goal, but it was six and thirteen or six and fourteen at the back end of last season. Looked sharp in pre-season, got off the mark at Luton, and probably all fair to assume that he was going to kick on, but it just hasn't quite happened for him, has it? No, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? I mean, I do to repeat the point, and maybe when we discussed it, I do think. He looked more suited to that 4-3-3, coming in off the wide areas. So he's playing as a forward, but not as a centre-forward. And he, he, he did get some chances, and he was unlucky against Brentford, you know, to get a perfectly good goal or two chalked off. Um, I mean, you look at his career stats. I know Vic made the point about those that, that purple patch at the end of last season, and fair play to him for coming after what had been a difficult time at Borough, and obviously his loan, his loan moves as well. Um, He's never going to be. I don't think his stats suggest he'll ever be prolific. Um, he's not, I wouldn't say he was a natural finisher in the way that you know we talked just talking about Brit there. That when he's on, he's really on. Um, 
I don't know if the, the current formation seems to suit him because he's playing behind Brit. Um, I mean, if, you, if you're asking me now how many goals Ashley Fetch you potentially get between now and the end of the season, I can't see how, it, how he's going to get anywhere near double figures if you look at his ratio so far. And if Borough stick with that formation, which I think they probably will because it seems to, seems to suit most of the players, if not all of them, unlike 4-3-3, which didn't really seem to suit many of the players at all. So, you know, I, I forget who made the point earlier this week. It might have been you, Dom. Um, the goals have to come from midfield as well. That that is the that is the ultimately you need more from McNair. They need you know Johnny Housen's obviously playing at right wing back. He's capable of scoring goals in the championship. We know he is. Um, Lewis Wings not quite hit the heights, but he's capable of scoring goals as well, isn't he? So well, McNair's the only other player as, as well as Britt who scored more than a single goal in the league so far. And when you consider now that it's middle of November and you're 16 games in the season, you need more than that. So mm. you, need, you need more players chipping in. Because I think, I think that's probably, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Sam Belonga and these missed chances. But the, the pressure is very much on him when mm. he goes into games and he knows, I know I always say that Borough are creating chances, but he's not getting teed up with four mm. or five absolute clear-cut chances every game. And... He knows that if he misses, the chances of others bailing him out are slim to none, really. I mean, you say no one's scored, but every, everyone's been queuing up to hit the woodwork, and that's one of the problems, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, a, it's a lack of accuracy. Bernie said last week it was, it was composure when you get in that area, and as a professional footballer, you've got to hit the target, especially from 10 yards out. And I think that would be the, the, thing, the thing is, it's not as if Britt doesn't score goals, has never scored goals. That, that's, the, that's, that, that's been the strange thing about it we're not talking about somebody who uh, maybe it's a David Nugent who gets you 9 or 10 a season on a good season um, you know Brit's career average certainly over the last few years has been one every two give or take so he can score goals we're not talking about somebody who's never done it who's never done it prolifically he, he does score goals you know Patrick Bamford had his moments at Borough didn't he and he would go on a purple patch you know he's had a lot of stick down at Leeds because he can't seem to put it in the net um, so it's not just Borough it's a difficult it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough art to it's strange with Britt, isn't it that when you look at the, the, his ratio for Borough and how many goals he's scored we talked there about him succeeding in a team when he really shouldn't have last season so, so on, on goals alone you look at Britt and you think he's done what, what Borough bought him to do but then you, there is that niggling feeling that Borough haven't got that we haven't seen the best of him in this team or in, over the Borough, years? Just a Borough in general. I don't think it helped the situation last season that you had a manager who called him out every week. Um, you know, because the previous season when, when, when Pulis had come in, obviously it was Monk signing, allegedly. He was, he was the club's record signing. Monk played him just about every week and his goal record was good under Gary Monk. I think it was... I think he got, and he got to double figures by November or something like that. Yeah. Um, Obviously, in a team that had other attacking players like your Braithwaite's and Downings as well in it. When Pulis came in, he made his mind up. He didn't fancy Brit. That was pretty obvious. Rudy Justed was the was the was the first choice striker for a while, and then Bamford got his nose in front when when Justed was injured. Uh, when the you know, and I think it was times when Brit was playing left left hand side, wasn't it? You know, at times and. So he has not Fulham away, or yeah, so QPR the, away. It was QPR away, yeah. wasn't it? When he played Brit left and yeah. Yingle up front. So you had a situation <laughs> where, yeah, yeah, that's so had a situation where he was playing for a manager who clearly didn't fancy him, and that must that must mess with your mind a little bit when you 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 know all players are confidence players, but particularly strikers. You know, he's 
One minute he's not in the team, then he's in the team but he's out of position. Then he's in the team and he misses a chance and the manager hauls him over the coals for it. Then he scores a couple of goals but he, he's told he should have t- scored two more in the same press conference. You know, we were, we've all seen it. And, you know, so suddenly under Woody, he's got a, he's got a manager who genuinely believes in him. Maybe he needs the rocket though. I mean, because we we say that the team under Pulis wasn't set up for him. He was asked to do a job he wasn't designed for in terms of holding it up as the lower front man. Yet his strike rate was better. Maybe, in a better team, I would say. But, 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 but even as all round performance, maybe, maybe getting a, a, a tongue lashing on yeah. a regular basis helped motivate him. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, saying that no matter what. You're my main man. Maybe not. Maybe he needs to be. Well, I think the difference is this season, particularly, is he's got nobody behind him pushing him. Whereas in the past, he had Bamford, Gestead, Hugel. Um, you know, the, there have been other options for the managers, and the Braithwaite even. Um, I think this season he's probably been a little bit comfortable. I get that point. Certainly, that he knows, apart from being rested, well, allegedly rested for the first half against Huddersfield, he started every match this season. I think hasn't he? So. He is in the comfort zone in that respect. He's got nobody behind him pushing him. The Darlow fans will be clamouring for Tyrone O'Neill to start to merit Borough taking him away. They were furious last week on the, the Twitter reaction to that to that news. Um, Vicky, we were talking earlier about Borough's position and, and um, you know kind of this feeling that the, 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 the performances have been better than what the, the table show. Is that the feeling above Woodgate? Is that the feeling at the top of the club that, that there's certainly no reason to panic? That's certainly the message we're getting. We're getting the uh, don't panic. Uh, at the start of this season, Borough factored in the fact that it was a transitional season, there'd be ups and downs, and there was lots of references to when Norwich did this, they bumped along on the, in the bottom third and finished 14th. Uh, not that the suggestion is that that's an automatic uh, uh, position when you, when you go through a, a major cultural change, but they have factored in that it would not be plain sailing. And for all, all the Ferrari, you know, we're getting a strong message that the, that the, the hierarchy are not panicking. Uh, one of the things that we were told at the start of the season is that when we have sticky patches, we're going to ignore the noise. And that kind of ties in a little bit with uh, uh, Woody having a, a, a pop a few times now at the criticism of social media, the keyboard warriors. Uh, and that is seen as being part of the noise that a lot of the, the criticism uh, is it's kind of endemic and it's habitual and it's knee-jerky it's Pavlovian and no one is saying that people can't criticise especially in the situation the club are in but there do seem to be people who relish the situation and wait for the chance to, to put the boot in uh, it's hard to s- separate all the, all the different aspects of, of criticism and uh, most of it is legitimate, but there is a feeling within the club that a lot of that is generated, uh, not necessarily for the right reasons. And, and Phil, those comments from Woodgate were there on Saturday, as, as he said that, it certainly didn't strike me as being a pop at the fans. Um, he's accepted, hasn't he, on several occasions this season. You know, some some took his comments on Saturday as being a pop at anyone who dares to criticize, who mm. dares to criticize. But he's accepted this season, hasn't he? On some occasions, he said to us, "I completely understand if you'd hammer me for this or if you'd hammer me for that." Um, in the press conferences I've been in, the games I've been at, he, he's had nothing but praise for the fans. No, he's he, he's he's very plain speaking, isn't he, Jonathan? He says it as he, you know, maybe it comes across more forcefully than he maybe intends it to, but. He's a fan himself. Um, 
he, I think he understands to an extent and empathises with the supporters. There's a big, big world of difference between the fans who rock up at the Riverside and pay the money and watch the team and get and, and they've been behind the team more often than not this season. I think the home fans have been very supportive, given they haven't had a lot to be supportive about. And the away supporters have been terrific. Um, he's, he's clearly aiming those who, you know, I think he, I think he used the word anonymous or social, you know, the people who don't, you know, he has no problem with somebody writing on a Saturday night. That I didn't think that performance was very good. Maybe it's tactically we were naive. You know, the manager has to rethink things. You know, all the stuff that we'd say in the pub or, or writing our own articles. He's got no problem with that. He understands that's part and parcel of the game. What he, clearly what he's alluding to is the, is the constant sort of white noise of people who hide behind anonymous social media accounts. Um, who, who, you know... Every manager's had it to an extent. Karanka had people that just wouldn't have him. You know, people weren't having Tony Mowbray. Some people weren't having Tony Mowbray. Um, a lot of people weren't having Tony Pulis. You know, this is nothing new. And a lot of it's just about opinion. But I think there's a line in the sand that he thinks sometimes gets crossed. Uh, particularly the personal stuff. We've all, we all know, you know, we've all read it. We get it ourselves quite often. Um, some, some quite vitriolic personal abuse. Um, and I think, I think that's where he would like to see, you know... You know, he's just really saying, look, I know who the real supporters are in, in his view. I know that things aren't great. And I understand you've got a right to criticise me. I'm not above criticism. But let's keep it, you know, let's keep it where possible constructive and, and non-personal. And, um, you know, it's, um, I don't think he's, what he says will make any difference because I think there is a, a percentage of supporters at all clubs that, that will probably cross the line. Um, Creating malice. Well, whatever you want to call it's, it. It's very after the game when a manager comes out. It's you, you often hear and see a different person, a different manager to who you sit down with during the week for the pre-match press conferences, yeah. don't you? But with Woodgate, he's very quick out. Yeah. After a game, <coughs> on Saturday it was slightly mm-hmm. different in that they did it by the tunnels and Warburton was out first. Yeah. And he was ten or twelve minutes. He was speaking to the local press and obviously they wanted to get several lines for the international <laughs> break and. Woodgate was just kind of lingering in the tunnel. But even then he'd been quick out because he'd done his BBC T's interview and then he was waiting. Um, but it, it often then, the emotions are still, the adrenaline's still flowing. You don't, you know what it's like. Sometimes I'll write something immediately after a game. Then the next morning you look at it and think, oh, you know what, I was off, I was off target. <coughs> we've had a chance to reassess it. And there's no doubt that Woodgate will say things. And then the next morning he'll think... It's not that I didn't want to say that, but I would have maybe, maybe yeah. said it slightly differently with, with an hour or two to reflect. That, again, is just part of experience of being a manager, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, we've all spoken to players immediately after a match, and you know that they're still wired. Um, and, and the opposite of that is players will often say nothing after, immediately after a match because, because, because they're, they're still wired. They don't, want yeah. to, they don't want to commit and let their emotions and We know. I mean, we spoke to both Woody and players midweek away from the, the hubbub of the match and they are a lot more nuanced they're a lot more constructive a lot more considered and you get you get far better interviews uh, unfortunately the way the, the, the day is structured is that you do have to speak to them straight after the game before they go and you do get uh, that's a lot of managers drop themselves into trouble don't they by criticising referees uh, and then they, they go over and they see it on the highlights and slow motion and think well you know perhaps I'm out of order there so yeah uh, in the heat of battle, things get said that maybe are not the best, best uh, construction of a sentence. But isn't it just a case as well? Isn't it? 
Okay, I include us in this at all. Sometimes we've all got to stop being a little bit precious as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, I yeah, mean, absolutely. we all keep it out. We, as journalists, we very we, we we like to think we we um, we know where the line is and that we're constructive, but we do criticise and, and players have to take it. We have to take it when we get it back. And I think I think there's a, I think most fans I know personally have no problem with the manager. You know, being being forthright, being fairly outspoken the much more I think most most fans that you can think of much prefer a manager who speaks honestly and you know in joined up sentences and is a bit passionate than a manager who sits there and you know you an example Claude Puel I mean that you know it just doesn't engage anybody does it that kind of sort of almost I mean, monosyllabic <laughs> uh, mumbling I mean what, what he is what he is he's a teasider He's, he's, as long as we've known him, he spoke pretty forthrightly. Occasionally, he might say something that gets him in a little bit of bother. But I think people need to understand that, you know, as you say, he's, he's speaking passionately about something he cares about. He's, he's in his first managerial position. He's getting it from all sides. His team's in the bottom three. He can't sign anybody. He's probably not going to be able to sign too many players in January. It must be a high-pressure situation. Yeah. And although he tries not to give off the feeling that he's... You know, he's feeling the pressure. He's, he's only human, he's only yeah. 39. And, and it's always framed by results as well. Yeah, yeah, you can come out after a win and say something and people will yeah. regard you as Oscar Wilde. If you've lost and you say exactly the same thing, it's, a, it's an insult, mm. a deep personal insult to the fans. Often, yeah. often nowadays, you, you see when a, when a manager, or, or you'll know someone. So, for example, um, I've spoken to people in, in, who, who, who know Gary Monk personally and say... You know, really engaging blow, good laugh, good company. Whereas, not that I was in the press conferences at the time, but, but you know, listening to those press conferences, watching him speak, you, with with respect, you wouldn't have got that impression, yeah. would you? You see a different, you see a different uh, bloke, to, uh, a different manager, different bloke to, to what to what to who he is. With Woodgate, you, you two have obviously interviewed him going way back. Is he still the same? Does he still come across the same way now in his interviews as, as he did as absolutely. a player? Or have you yeah, noticed a change? As a player, when you asked him a question, uh, sometimes he could be quite abrupt. What, you yeah. know, I know what you're asking. I know what you, I know, I know you want him to say. And you know, he, he understands the game, but he would always answer honestly. And I don't see a lot of difference now in the way he reacts. I mean, a lot of managers over the years uh, put down different layers of protection uh, you know, diplomatic protection, tactical protection. They don't want to give anything away to the media. They don't want to. They, a lot of them don't like talking to the media. Full stop. Uh, I don't think Woody has a problem at all in talking to us. He's very honest, very open, uh, and we all know that he wears his heart on his sleeve. And sometimes you need to uh, uh, massage what he's saying to take some of the heat out of it, uh, or, or change tenses and stuff because. He, he, he speaks in a normal, passionate way, in the same way that he, he would address one of his mates in the, in the street. Do you think sorry to put in, but do you think that's a T-side thing? Because you, you two have said the same with me as interviews you have done with Downing over the years, where you've yeah, I mean, maybe had to take a I step think, I think that's more, I think the more with Stuart was the fact that he rarely spoke to anybody, particularly in the early days, outside the local press circle. So he might speak to us quite often. Obviously, we did a lot of stuff with him when he was still breaking so he's through. Probably less guarded. So he he could say something quite off the something quite strong to us, and we know that that wasn't meant for publication. It was clearly just an off the cuff remark. But then he would go and speak to somebody in the Sunday papers, 
when we still had local Sunday paper journalists up here, and you'd say the same thing, and that would be in a headline, you know, about McLaren this or McLaren that, or, and I think that's the lesson he learned was that you know, you know, the local press tend to know what's on the record, what's off the record. You know, we've got to interview them the following week, so we're not going to stitch anybody up. I think with Jonathan, just a very direct person, and. I'll go back to the time he was interviewed after the Spurs game here, just not long after he'd left, if you remember. When it topped, was it 2008, early on? Spurs played here to start the following season. and um, he got one, two, one. Yeah, I think it Mido scored, didn't he? I think if you remember. He got a load of stick off the Borough fans. And I remember, it was asked, I was there interviewing afterwards. I said, so you got a fair bit of um, you know, stick from your own old former supporters there today, John. They just says, yeah, well, I'd have booed me as well. You know, I don't blame them. You know, I'm coming back here. I used to play for the team. I'd have been booing as well. And that was, that, and that was over 10 years ago. So he hasn't changed. He's, he's obviously matured. I'm sure you can tell that he's matured quite considerably in the years since he was first here, you know, when he was a relatively young man to a lad now who's, you know, got family, he's married, he's, he's you know, he's... He's a manager, he's, he's done his badges, he's, he's, he's experienced some more highs and lows as a footballer. But I don't think you'll lose that, and I hope you don't lose that edge to it, because it's refreshing to have people in the game he, who... He, he seems quite committed to being honest and open. Yeah. Which he is wants, a good thing. He wants that to be his, his, his philosophy, his, his policy, really. When You know, he doesn't want to... You know, we've seen a difference already in the way he speaks to the, to the TVs and the radios, haven't we, than to, it does to us. In that he's a little bit more, um, snap, I'll say snappy for want of a better expression, a bit more brusque with some of the radio and TV cameras. Or he's short, he gives shorter answers and sometimes maybe he's a little bit more combative in the way that he'll deal with the question. With us, he sat down, we sort of, um, I was going to say eye to eye there, but he's six inches taller than me. So. <laughs> but we sit down, we'll sit like we are now, which is around the table or you know, across the chairs, and we'll have our dictaphones, and he'll be sat, and we'll, we'll converse, won't we? And that's a completely different environment, and he's very comfortable in that environment, and he's, he's, he'll, 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 he'll go off at tangents, and he, you know, he'll, 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 he'll talk at length about subjects. So I think we get the best of him, and, um, but obviously... As Vic says, it, it's all through the prism of a result, and, and ultimately, you know, he'll be judged on results whether it's a good talk or not, and that's what that ultimately does for all managers. And, and, and back to that before we wrap up, um, and, and we'll, we'll talk about January more next week and, and, and do kind of a transfer based trade, but the spell between now and January, nine games I think it is, starting with Hull, seven till Christmas, and then two before January, it feels like a, a massively decisive spell because. What, what happens between now and January could very well determine what happens in January and then what happens in January could very well determine the rest of the season? Yeah, uh, I think the immediate, the immediate spell is absolutely crucial because you know, the, the consensus is that they have play, the, the shape looks better, the team are playing better. That has to deliver. If it doesn't deliver, then you're forced into uh, more crisis management and that might mean... Uh, panic buying in January which which could possibly blow them off course uh, the next the next two home games I think were really important in setting the mood music amongst the fans uh, it's all very well saying the team are, are looking better they're looking more solid there's big positives you've got to deliver it and you've got to deliver it at home Phil? Yeah I totally agree I think um I think we shouldn't hold out too much hope for January because only because of 
past experiences. You know, it's I'm sure Borough will get a couple of new faces in. They have to get a couple of new faces. And who they are at the moment is difficult to predict. There's so many imponderables where Borough, as Vic says, you know, who you know, other teams might blow you out the water. Um, as you say, there's 27 points up for grabs. You can probably write off the first couple of weeks of January potentially as well. There's more games there plus the FA Cup, so there could be up to 30, 33 points to play for before Borough get the guys in that they want. You know, it might go to the back end of January. We've seen that happen before, haven't we? I think the crucial thing that happened is last year, didn't it? Where it felt as though in January the focus moved away from. Yeah, the goal was you got Van Van Lepar in fairly early, yeah, fairly on, early on. Safe to say, didn't go. Safe to say, didn't go too well. Oh, I don't know. He's in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> Borough kickstarted his career. Yeah. Say. I mean, it, I think the thing is, as, as we've as we've seen before, not just January windows but summer windows as well. Borough haven't always addressed the issues. Now I know it's asking a lot for a club that's in the bottom half of the table and struggling under a new manager with limited funds to buy two or to sign two players who can really make a material effect on, mm. on Borough's performance but really that's what they need to do there's no point bringing another Van Lepar who sits on the bench another Jack Harrison who was who just had six months off and needed game time needs two months to get needs, up to speed exactly yeah. needs it's, to it's that's very, very difficult to make strategic signs exactly yeah it is you, you can fill gaps and you can plug holes uh, and you can get, bring people in and do a job but you, it's very very difficult to buy someone that is strategically going to develop the, the team over the next when was the last time do you think we're do? I mean Gaston Gaston yeah yeah it was probably the last really effective January signing um, who, who, who came in and improved the team um, for that brief period six months four months whatever it was um, so often you make signings and, as we know, you sign them quite often because they're not playing somewhere else. You know, that, that's ultimately what it comes down to, doesn't it? You sign, you're not going to... There's few, few clubs going to allow an effective week-in, week-out starter to move because, for any other reason, than a massive financial gain, really. So and we could, are not in a position to do that. We could keep talking about that, but as I say, I think it's probably best to do a, do a January-specific one, which we'll do next week. Just, just before we do wrap up, we were talking about Stewie there. Um, a treat this weekend, Phil. You've got his dream Borough eleven. Yeah. Of who he's played with. Yeah, so yeah, all, all people he, um, he played with through his time at Borough. Um, all fair enough, any curveballs in there without well, giving anything away? He hasn't, well, the, 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 one, the one obvious one is he hasn't picked himself, which I was keen that he did, but he said he couldn't squeeze himself into that starting <laughs> level in, in true manner. He, uh, he took one for the team, so to speak. I mean, personally, if you're doing a Borough 11 of the, the Downing era, which is 2002 to 2019, isn't it, really? Um, but effectively, you're talking in the main... The, the, the McLaren years, aren't mm. you, and the early Southgate years. Everyone had done it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of Burrow's, you know, particularly in the position, when he was at his peak in that position, I don't think Burrow had a better left-sided midfielder in that period. But um, I won't tell you who he's picked in his stead, but I was interested is he's come up with a diamond midfield. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he's come up with a diamond midfield to uh, probably to accommodate, like, all when we, when we were picking our greatest teams, we always have a formation that suddenly works for us, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six defenders. But tell us to me, doesn't it? How do I accommodate Janino? Yeah. Dream yeah. Riverside, Borrell. Yeah. Yeah, I won't tell you whether he's in the team or not. Because he really didn't... I mean, when you look at it, without going into too much details, obviously, Stewie's real impact started around about back end of 2004, wasn't yeah. it? 
whereas uh, Janino had pretty much left Borough by the start of the following season. Um, so there's very little overlap with Janino. So, so he's not in? Uh, well, you'll have to buy your cassette or whatever. <laughs> you'll have to click online. Yeah. Good Saturday, Saturday morning, that'll be online. Well, thanks a lot, lads, and, and thanks a lot for listening.